A note for our listeners, this episode deals with themes of suicide. Please take extra caution when listening. Welcome to Foundations of Emo, hosted by Claire and Danny. Each episode, we take one of our favourite bands and dive deep into their history and origins, reminiscing on our own emo roots along the way. Hi, Danny. Hello. <laughs> we're very giddy. Yeah, I don't know what's wrong with us. <laughs> We've just started and we're super giddy. And we've recorded two episodes, so this is going to be a long evening. Whoop, whoop. But they're, they're two interesting episodes. Two. I can't wait to hear what your episode is. But my episode is also really nice. Okay. I really enjoyed listening to them. Yeah, yeah. Did you? Same. Yeah. 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 I was actually listening to them when I was getting ready this evening and even yeah. though I've listened to it all I was like ah, I'm just going to listen again to get in the mood they're just like a classic yeah absolutely yeah. any news? news new when you're listening to this it's Valentine's Day so happy Valentine's Day oh happy Valentine's Day anyone doing anything exciting other than working? <laughs> <laughs> silence I just do you know what I hate and like I honestly like times I've been completely single or like in relationships or like it doesn't matter what my status is I can't stand people who give out about Valentine's Day. Like, it's just so miserable. And people are like, it's just a Hallmark holiday. So is everything. Like, everything. is. You don't hear people giving out about Mother's Day. Yeah. It's the same fucking thing. And like, even if you are single, appreciate the people in your life that you do love. That's what I like to do. Or celebrate Galentine's or something like that. Yeah, I don't have any feelings towards Valentine's Day. Like, I try and pretend, like, oh, it's grand. I don't want any presents or anything. But then if I don't get one, I'll be really, <laughs> really annoyed. <laughs> I was with someone, like, years ago who was coming up to Valentine's Day. And he was like, oh, I'm going to, like, we're going to have an amazing Valentine's Day. I'm going to do all this stuff for you. And I was like, oh, my God. No one has ever done anything like that for me. So I was really excited. On the day, he surprised me. Like, we went for breakfast. He surprised me. He brought me to the zoo. Uh, we went for drinks. I hadn't been to the zoo in years at the time. And I, like, kept going on about it. So it was really nice that he did that. We went for drinks. And then he's like, you're going to need to be drunk for the next part. And I was like, what? And uh, brought me to a roller disco. I was terrible. I can't skate. I never want to do that again. But, like, it was more the thought was nice. Yeah, yeah. Even though I did not enjoy the roller disco. And then he told me that he'd booked flights for us to go to Barcelona for the weekend. What? So that was, like, the best Valentine's Day uh that I'd had and then the next Valentine's Day he broke up with you no it was coming to Valentine's Day and I was like oh my god can't wait for Valentine's Day how are you gonna top last year and he's like Valentine's Day is actually a load of shit and um, we did nothing and after that we never did anything ever again for Valentine's Day because he decided he didn't like it anymore which I was like, if someone doesn't want to celebrate it, I'm like, that's fine. That's on you. But like, don't set the bar yeah. so high. <laughs> Just to be like, nah, actually. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah. I don't have any nice Valentine's Day stories. Ryan always sends me flowers to my work, so oh, I'm expecting so them this year. I know, but I'm totally expecting them this year. And if he doesn't send them, I'm really sad. He doesn't listen to this, so I can say this. <laughs> Ryan, send her flowers, bitch. <laughs> So I actually got a little Galentine's gift for Claire that she had no idea about. Oh my god, it has cats on it. It has cats oh on god, it. God, there you go. Happy awesome. Galentine's Day. Appreciate it. The bag alone is the best thing I've ever seen. Can I just point out, Danny is so good for like presents for any occasion. You could like. I love giving presents. I don't know what you could do. Something really irrelevant. Danny will get you a present for it. Love it. Oh my god, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so guys, the card card says, bitch, you're my soulmate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. Okay, now what's the present? What is this? What is this? Oh my God. I'm excited. (gasps) Do you have one? Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) Guys. Merch. We have merch. It's a t-shirt with our logo on it. Whoop, whoop. Oh my god, this is the best present ever. Thank you. We can wear this for the next episode. Guys, he wants to be on our street team. Put <laughs> some stickers to your house. This is the best. Thank you so much. I didn't get you anything. Okay, now I feel really bad. Let's move on. I got an ad like on Instagram. It was like, make your own t-shirt. And I was like, hmm. Why have we not talked about that before? Yeah. You've given me some great t-shirts so far. <laughs> I'm just trying to dress you for the pod. <laughs> Wait, is this a hint? Right. Let's start the episode, okay, we shall we? better start this, because it's going to be all like this little love in three hours long anyway. <laughs> you ready to learn about Lincoln Park? Let's go. Let's go. In 1996, in California, three high school friends, Mike Shinoda, Rob Burden, and Brad Delson, formed a band together called Zero. 
After they graduated, they decided to pursue music seriously and recruited three other members, Joe Hahn, Dave Farrell and Mark Wakefield. Mike Shinoda had a makeshift studio in his bedroom, so the band began recording and producing songs. This resulted in the band's four-track demo album called Zero, released in November 1997. Well, <laughs> I know, how old are <laughs> The band played their first show that same month, opening for, wait for it, System of a Down. Their first show? Yeah, in a nightclub <laughs> in West Hollywood. Oh my God, unreal. Like, how good is that? The nightclub is called Whiskey A Go-Go and has hosted so many bands, including Alice Cooper, The Doors, Led Zeppelin, No Doubt, Elton John, Guns N' Roses, to name a few. So the fact that their first show was here is pretty unbelievable. Yeah, everyone knows like the Whiskey is such a fucking yeah. staple venue. That's unreal. Your first ever show. That's and crazy. I just love the fact that Mike had a little studio in his bedroom. Yeah. Oh, so cute. So Brad Delson had interned for Zomba Music in college and it was through this internship that he met and knew a guy called Jeff Blue who offered the band constructive criticism so they could catch the eye of record labels. So Zomba Music was a division owned by Sony Music. Hmm. Never heard of that before. Knowing people in high places. Blue was impressed with the band but thought they needed a different vocalist. He might have been right because the band failed to secure a record deal which led to a lot of frustrations and Mark Wakefield left the band to pursue other projects. Dave Farrell also left to tour with a Christian punk band known as Tasty Snacks. Tasty Snacks? <laughs> Snacks with an X, I'll have you know. But they're like a Christian band. Why? Where do they get that name from? Know, it's great. Are they talking about the communion wafers? <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty tasty. You know? <laughs> the band spent a lot of time searching for a new vocalist and eventually found one in Chester Bennington, who was actually recommended by Jeff Blue. So I feel like we owe the formation of Lincoln Park to Jeff Blue. Hmm. Chester was in a post-grunge band called Grey Days, but subsequently left them to join Zero. It was when Chester joined that they changed their name to Hybrid Theory as a nod to the dynamic and newborn vocal chemistry between Mike and Chester, and also as a way to revive the band. They recruited a temporary bassist to replace Dave Farrell, who was still with Tasty Snacks. And in 1999, they released an EP which they circulated through the use of street teams. I love that they were originally called Hybrid Theory because yeah. of the dynamic. Because yeah. that dynamic to me is Linkin Park. Is Linkin Park. And there was no one else who was doing that. Yeah. Or is really doing that Yeah, now. I think that is their thing. Yeah. Like. But they still struggled to get a record deal. So they again turned to Jeff Blue, who was now the vice president of Warner Brothers. They had failed to impress Warner Brothers on three previous reviews. But thanks to Jeff, he helped them sign as a developing artist to the label in 1999. However, they were advised to change their name as there was already an artist called Hybrid who were popular at the time. I'm really glad they chose the name Linkin Park because the other options were Plair, which is how my niece says Claire, <laughs> and Platinum Lotus Foundation. Oh my God. Wow. I, I don't know. That's a horrific name for um, any band. Yeah. And I don't even know where it came from. But Linkin Park is a park in Santa Monica, but they had to change the spelling of it to acquire the internet domain and hence Linkin Park was born. Whoop whoop. Initially, Warner Brothers were not impressed. They didn't like the hip-hop element, and a representative actually suggested that Chester fired or demoted Mike, but Chester refused to compromise the band's vision and supported Mike. Which I think is so nice. Yeah, it's really nice. I can't believe they wanted to get rid of him. I love Mike Shinoda. I love Mike Shinoda. He's just the best. Dave then returned from Tasty Snacks in 2000, (laughs) and that same year, the band released their album Hybrid Theory. Hybrid Theory, as we all know, was an absolutely massive commercial success. It sold more than 4.8 million copies in its first year and earned the title of best-selling album of 2001. It is certified as 12 times platinum. Jesus. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) And was the best-selling debut album since Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. The single in the end peaked at number two on the US Billboard Hot 100 and other singles were featured in various films. The album also won a Grammy for best hard rock performance for the song Crawling and was nominated for two other Grammys. Even though Dave had just returned for the release of this album, he doesn't actually play on it. And he's, it's the only album of theirs he's not featured on. I think what's interesting to me is that it got so big straight away. Like, I remember when Linkin Park came out, I wasn't into rock music. So when Hybrid Theory came out, I wouldn't have, like, been interested or known anything about yeah. the music. But I didn't realise it was so big straight away. I, I kind of thought that was one of those albums that people went, went back, back to. to. Yeah. And then it would have, like, done such success after the fact. Yeah. But straight away, wow. I think the more and more I was writing this, you really start to appreciate how successful they actually were. Yeah. I never really grasped how successful they were until right now. (laughs) (laughs) The success of the album meant that they were invited on numerous tours, such as Oddsfest. 
They also formed their own tour project, spelled with a K, Revolution, which was a festival that brought different genres of music together. Apparently within just one year, Linkin Park had performed at over 320 concerts. Wow. In a year. Yeah, considering there's 350. Yeah. 356? 65. Oh my God, I have dyslexia. <laughs> they released their follow-up to Hybrid Theory two years later. The album was called Reanimation and was remixes of the songs from Hybrid Theory. And I never understood this album. Yeah. Did you? No, and I didn't listen to it this nev- time around no, either. No, and I never listened to it the first time around either. I didn't get it. Mm. I was like, what is this? I think I've listened to like one or two songs off and I'm like, mm, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it did, however, reach a peak position of number two on the Billboard 200 and stayed on the chart for 33 consecutive weeks. It is also apparently the fourth best-selling remix album of all time. Who would have thought? I wonder what the other three are. <laughs> I hate remix albums. So do I. I just don't get them. While touring extensively, the band spent as much time as they could in their tour bus's studio. Imagine having a studio on your tour bus. I think a lot of bands do that. That's so cool. And announced their plans for a new studio album in December of 2002. The album is apparently inspired by a place in Greece called Meteora, where there are numerous monasteries built on top of rocks. I did not know this. I did not know that either. I think that's something to do with, like, space. (laughs) It was released in March 2003 and instantly went to number one on the Billboard 200, selling over 810,000 copies in its first week. Overall, it sold around 16 million copies and is the eighth best-selling album of the 21st century. So that's when I got into Linkin Park. I think I was in... No. Mm, What age would we have been then? Yeah, same. Yep. That would make sense. I got into Good Charlotte and then for some reason went from Good Charlotte to Linkin Park. But I remember listening to that album Meteora and I thought like, this is the heaviest music I've ever heard in my life. Like it's so heavy. But the ironic thing is, if you liked Linkin Park, you were absolutely not respected amongst the, well, I didn't think you were, amongst the like hard rock crowd. Mm. They were like, this band is shit. Yeah. I think it's because... Chester had melodic kind of yeah, vocals and yeah. stuff, so it wasn't like heavy. Yeah. But like, I remember I was like freaking 12 or 13 and I listened to it and I was just like, oh my God, this yeah, is really intense, yeah. but I loved it. And I think the themes of the albums as well, I was very like, oh my God, this is so like hard rock and heavy. <laughs> my 13 year old self. I remember there was a girl I went to school with and she had a Linkin Park hybrid theory hoodie and I just thought it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. I did not have one. I did go on holidays though and they were doing those like printing t-shirts mm. and they had like one image of Linkin Park and I got that t-shirt and it was the best thing ever. I don't think I've ever owned any Linkin Park merch ever. I want to get Linkin Park yeah, merch Yeah, I would yeah. get some now. <laughs> I read a piece from an interview that Mike did and I think it just highlights how talented they were. For Somewhere I Belong, Chester had recorded a guitar part of the intro but didn't like it because it was too folk rock sounding. So Mike and Joe reworked it, added effects to it and then played it backwards to make the intro that we all know and love today. Mike said, since I reversed it, it was playing four, three, two, one. The chord progression was reversed. Then I cut it into four pieces and I played it one, two, three, four, and that's why it has that sweeping sound. And I have no idea what that means, but it's just like, you don't realize how much work mm. they put into all these albums. We just listen to it and we're like, it's a cool piece of music. But like they have all this like stuff in their brain where they're like, let's cut it up backwards and mix it up. And yeah. Like, blah, Imagine blah. you're writing a song, you're like, this isn't going great. Like, where in your brain do you go, let's play it black- yeah, backwards? backwards. Yeah, backwards. Yeah, put it in four pieces. <laughs> the main criticism for this album is that it sounds too like the first one, with some even describing it as a hybrid theory part two. But I don't see the problem with that. Yeah, that, that's a good thing. <laughs> we all love the first album. Why wouldn't we want one that sounds the exact same? The success of this album led to Metallica inviting Linkin Park to play the Summer Sanitarium Tour 2003 and I think we've all heard the stories of them being booed at this. Yeah. Which again, it's not their fault. Like, I'm sorry, but Metallica aren't like the heaviest band in the world no. for people to be like, ooh, Linkin Park aren't happy enough yeah, you know, exactly. to play with them. That's very true. I hate those, those metal fans. I know. I had an opportunity to go see them in Marty Park on this tour, but my mom wouldn't let me go because I was too young. Oh. <laughs> And now I'll forever hold it against my mother because I'll never see them play again. Thanks, mom. <laughs> in 2004, they started a world tour called the Meteora World Tour and they were supported by Hoobastank, <laughs> POD and Story of the Year. Throughout this year, however, the band's relationship with Warner Brothers Records was deteriorating rapidly due to several trust and financial issues, but they settled the dispute and came to a deal in 2005. After Meteora, the band all kind of took to side projects. Mike worked with Depeche Mode and Chester worked with DJ Lethal. And then the band began to work with Jay-Z on the remix album Collision Course, which was released in 2004. Again, another Yeah, again, album. I just don't know why this has to no. exist. 
I do love Encore, though. Everyone loves Yeah, that's a great <laughs> Mike also formed Fort Minor during this time, which is essentially a name he uses for the collaborations he does with two hip-hop artists. Didn't listen to any of that either. I've heard it before, but I like years ago, I can't remember. Yeah, I've heard it as well. I thought it was a band. I didn't realise it's essentially just yeah, him. Same. I thought mm-hmm. it was a band. I just Because I've always liked him, like always yeah. thought he was really cool. So I remember being like, oh, he's got something else going on. But then... I was too young to, you know, go look it up or, like, do anything about that. I think I read somewhere where he was like, I set myself the challenge of literally playing every single instrument on this, except for, like, the drums or something. Which, isn't that what um, Patrick did from Fall Out Boy when he did some solo thing? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Remember, think back to that episode. (laughs) Linkin Park also participated in a lot of charity events around this time and raised money for victims of both Hurricane Charlie and Hurricane Katrina. They donated $75,000 to the Special Operations Warrior Foundation in March 2004 and set up a fund called Music for Relief to help victims of the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami. They were also part of Live 8 in 2005. In 2006, they performed with Jay-Z at the Grammy Awards ceremony where they were joined on stage by none other than Paul McCartney. That's so random. The collaboration we didn't know we needed. Yeah. <laughs> Jay-Z, Linkin Park and Paul McCartney. You know, when I was listening to No Encore, I always thought, this needs a bit of, a bit of Paul McCartney on this now. That I think he liked Chef's Kiss. <laughs> worked in bits of that song yesterday, which I just can't imagine. I should have looked it up, but it sounds awful, to be honest. All I can hear is Jay-Z being like, can I get an encore? Do you want more? Yesterday, all my, my troubles seem so fun. What? I don't know. Look it up afterwards. The band returned to the recording studio to begin working on their third studio album, this time with producer Rick Rubin. They recorded between 30 to 50 songs for the album, which Chester hinted would stray away from their new metal sound. The album title Minutes to Midnight is a reference to the Doomsday Clock Simba and is the first album from the band to have a parental advisory label. Yeah, they not have swearing on the other albums. Their remix albums did, but not their actual studio albums. I never caught that. Yeah. And as soon as I read this, I went, I know why. It's because that line where it goes, fuck this hurts, I won't lie. Doesn't matter how hard I try. Yeah, I know. I think that's also why the hard rock metal fans didn't like them because they didn't curse. You don't swear, so you're not real metal. (laughs) So this was released in 2007 and debuted at number one on the US Billboard 200 charts and in 15 other countries. In the US, it had the biggest first week sales of 2007 at the time selling 623,000 and went on to be certified five times platinum. Notably, people have said it sounds like there is less of Mike on the record. However, that's probably because he is singing a lot more, doing a lot of the harmonies. Did you feel that? So this album I didn't listen to back in the day because when they came out with the singles from this album, I didn't like them. And Mm -hmm. I was like, this doesn't sound like Linkin Park. I don't Mm -hmm. like it. So I was like, fuck that. And I just never paid any attention. So this coming up to the episode is the first time I've ever listened to the album. Yeah. I did miss Mike. I did want more of him on it. Like, I feel like Hybrid Theory and Meteora work because of the dynamic. Yeah. The Hybrid Theory, if you will. <laughs> oh, I see where you're going with it. It's this. Chester, like, having his incredible, like, singing voice. Yeah. But also being able to scream. Yeah. And then Mike doing some rapping. And to me, that's Linkin Park. That's the dynamic that works. Yeah. And this album was missing it. Now, to be fair, I liked the album more than I thought that I would. Like, there, yeah. I did think there were some good songs on it. Yeah. I think that they, there was also some bad songs on it. And I think that they didn't release great singles off it. Because I think they were more radio friendly, the ones they released. I absolutely love that song, Bleed It Out. Really? Like, I'm obsessed <laughs> with it. I don't know. I was like, listening to it when I uh, was texting you last week. And I was out for a walk. And I literally was like, and just that bit at the start where it's like, I just love it. But I was the same as you. I only listened to singles off it. This was probably the first time I went and listened to the whole album. It was fine. Didn't hate it. Didn't love it. There was one or two songs I was like, ooh, okay, I think I like this. But at the same time, I didn't feel like they were Link Apart because they weren't doing the dynamic. Yeah. Moved away from their new metal sound. Uh, So Mike has three solo lead songs on this album. And some people really didn't like this album and felt the band were trying to create a new identity for themselves. And one critic even described the song Hands Held High, which is about terrorist attacks, as far and away the funniest thing you will hear all year. Is that the one that's all about like Jesus and stuff though? Or uh, something? I can't remember, but like... There was one that was weirdly religious and I was like, one. oh, I don't know about this now. No, I wouldn't say it was the funniest thing I've heard all year. That's a bit harsh. I mean, it was pretty bad. Like, I couldn't believe it. I mean, that sounded like a song that should have been by Tasty Snacks. 
All the singles from this album had success, and the band won the award for Favourite Alternative Artists in the American Music Awards that year. They did a world tour called the Minutes to Midnight World Tour, which I love how they're keeping these tour names so simple. <laughs> and they also did a fourth Project Revolution tour in the US, which had My Chemical Romance, Taking Back Sunday, Placebo, and Him. I don't know why I looked at that and said, that says Heim. I would love to have been there. That's an amazing... It's yeah. a weird mix of bands, but I would enjoy seeing yeah. all of them. Yeah. I think, isn't that what Project Revolution was all about? Is it bringing all these weird bands together that mm. you never would have put together? So later in the year, they toured Europe, Asia and Australia and also headlined Download Festival that year. Chester already said at this time that they were planning to do a follow-up album to Minutes to Midnight, but they wa- wanted to go on tour first to gain inspiration for the album. They did another Project Revolution tour in 2008, and this one featured Chris Cornell, The Bravery. The Bravery? Do you remember There's the a name I have heard in a long time. <laughs> do you remember that song in the video with all the dominoes? What was it called? Honest Mistake. I was, like, so, yeah. I was gonna say Stupid Mistake. Yeah. Um, and I had a lot of bands I'd never heard of. But the grind never stopped for Linkin Park, and in 2009, they announced they were working on their fourth studio album, with Mike telling fans it would be genre-busting, while building off of elements in Minutes to Midnight. He also said it would be more experimental and hopefully more cutting edge. Rick Rubin was confirmed as a producer for this album again, and the title was revealed as A Thousand Sons. It was released in September 2010. The album is a concept album dealing with human fears such as nuclear warfare. Which I don't know if I thought that was so funny. I'm like, it's not my first ah, yes. fear. <laughs> like, I'm scared Every of it. Every night I go to bed and think about nuclear warfare. <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously, terrifying. Yeah, terrifying, terrifying concept. It's just but not like, the first. <laughs> you, all humans fear. <laughs> the title is a reference to a Hindu scripture, a line from which was popularized by Robert Oppenheimer when he described the atomic bomb. It's the band's longest studio album. Did you like it? No. <laughs> I did not like it. Oddly enough, I went back and had a second listen to these and I liked them much better when I listened to them the second time around because I think I knew what I was expecting. Mm. Whereas when I listened to them the first time, I was like, what the hell? This is not Linkin Park. But when I listened to them the second time, I was like, no, okay, they're actually not that bad. I think this one was like fine, I think, wasn't it? Like it's just nothing... There's probably not nothing really stand outy on it. Yeah, yeah that's what I felt about this one. I was like, it's not like terrible. I'm not like, oh my God, turn it off. But I'm yeah. also just like, never want to listen to it again. Like, it's just <laughs> fine, but not for me. Well, again, it debuted at number one in the US Billboard 200 chart, but had noticeably less sales in its first week of around 241,000 compared to previous albums. It also debuted at number one on the Canadian Albums chart and number two in the UK behind the Scripps album, Science and Faith and number three in Ireland. A reviewer and artist direct credited the band for creating their own genre, and I think that is so accurate. It is their own genre. They just, like we said, doesn't sound like anyone else. Mm. This is the album that divided fans, and Chester was quoted in an interview saying that the album was definitely something we knew people would need to digest and get over the fact it's not something they thought we would do. Despite the division among fans, the album was still nominated for six Billboard Awards in 2011, including Best Rock Album. I think what's wild to think about is how commercially successful that they were. Yeah. For like the, the genre of them and everything. And like they're quite heavy compared to other bands, you mm-hmm. know, that aren't, don't get as big. Yeah. Like a lot of the emo bands we talk about aren't as heavy. Yeah. They would, should be more like mainstream kind of thing. So it's wild that these are so commercially successful. Do you think though, like I thought it was interesting when I was reading this, that fans were like, this is not something we thought they would do. Like, all their albums, yeah, were probably a bit different, but they're all still kind of samey. Like, mm. I wouldn't be like, wow, this is such a departure from Minutes to Midnight. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's elements that are different, but it's not like, this is going to divide me. But back to the grind. Chester told Rolling Stone in 2011 that the band aims to produce a new album every 18 months, and he would be shocked if a new album did not come out in 2012. A few months later, he revealed the band were indeed in the beginning phases of a new album, again with producer Rick Rubin. The title was announced as Living Things, and they stated it would be a return to form. Mike said the title refers to the fact the album is far more personal than their previous albums, and is about people and personal interactions. The lead single was Burn It Down, the video for which was directed by Mr. Han. Yeah. I feel like Mr. Han. Mr. Han. That's all I think of. I think he was so cute. And what other band had a Mr. Han? Yeah, I love it. Like no one. And do you know that Mr. Hahn and Mike Shinoda have artwork on the Berlin Wall? Oh. Yeah. There you go. I've been to the Berlin Wall. I did not see it. <laughs> Next time I'll look. <laughs> so they promoted the album during the Honda Civic Tour, which they co-headlined with Incubus and performed Burn It Down at the 2012 Billboard Music Awards. 
The album was released in June and sold 223,000 copies during its debut week and apparently beat Maroon 5's album Overexposed by 1,000 sales. That makes me like them more. <laughs> Anything that knocks Maroon 5 down a peg is good in my books. Do you not like Maroon 5? Do you know what? I, do you know, I said this one day years ago and I stand by it. If I was allowed to punch one man in the throat... It would be Adam Levine. It would be Adam Levine. Is it Levine? No, it's Levine. Adam. I don't care what his name is. I would punch him in the throat and I would enjoy it. There's something about him I just want to slap him. Like, I don't condone, condone violence of any kind. But I'd probably agree with that as well, actually. Yeah, I see where There's you're coming from. There's something about him yeah. that just gives me the ick. Do you ever see those leaked um, Instagram messages when he was, like, trying to hit on women? Oh, no. They're so sad. Like, he, the man has no game. <laughs> oh, yeah, he just strikes. It was like, me as hey, I a... like your boobs. Like it was just oh, like no. it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so awkward. He said did he say something? He was like, Your booty is out of this world, or like it's just like it was horrible. No. It was so horrible. Why do men think that's what women respond to? <laughs> Take me now, Adam. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, back to Lincoln Park. This also ranked at number one in the US album charts, but fell to number six on its second week. However, it became their best charting album so far and reached the top spot in 17 countries, including Canada and the UK. Critics seemed a bit meh about this album. No one hated it, but no one seemed to particularly love it either, which is kind of how I feel about all these albums. Hmm. The following year, the band collaborated with Steve Aoki to record the song A Light That Never Comes. And wait for it. This song was used in Linkin Park's online puzzle action game called LP Recharge. They had a puzzle game and, yeah, and I didn't play it. It sounds like something I'd really like. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> a bunch of nerds. <laughs> so this was a free-to-play action puzzle game that was playable on Facebook. It was a game focused on solving puzzles and attempting to raise awareness about parts of the world that don't have reliable power. Aww. How cute. I like that it had a message as well. <clears throat> yeah, I think, feel like most of the things they do have a message. Mm. It takes place in the not-too-distant future where humans have depleted all natural resources on the planet. Wow. I'm going to go play it now. <laughs> I don't know if you still can. It does still exist. I'm going to play it. The song was featured on Linkin Park's second remix album, Recharged, which was released the same year. Did you listen to it? No. No, me neither. I did not listen to any remix albums. <laughs> it was entirely produced by Mike Shinoda and Rick Rubin. It's an album of remixes of 10 of the songs from Living Things and features a whole lot of artists that I have never heard of. It entered the charts at number 10 and actually did more business in 2014 compared to 2013, becoming the 8th best-selling dance-slash-electronic slash album. Well, so it's a dance-electronic album, so I don't think I would enjoy listening like, to it. again, so commercially successful, considering the fact they're a new metal band. So roll on their sixth studio album, which Mike confirmed in 2013. So many albums. Mm. They literally... Like, when you read all the stuff about the pre-production and everything, they just never stopped. Yeah. It's like, while they were touring, promoting the current album, they were working on their new album, and, like, Mike Shinoda would start doing stuff on his iPhone, like, while they were on tour. Yeah. It's just, like, mental. So the band all felt this was a return to their earlier sound and dropped the electronic sounds of the previous two albums. They used Hybrid Theory as their template, and guitarist Brad joked that this album was an alternative Hybrid Theory, or maybe it's prequel. And in a random beef... Mike criticised the modern state of alternative radio, saying there's so much stuff that sounds like Heim or churches, and he's not hungry for that. He said, quote, I turn on the rock station in LA and it sounds like Disney commercial music. This led to Lauren Mabry, the lead singer of churches, to respond to his comments by calling them a pointless dig. But Chester added to Mike's comments, saying that all the music now sounds like the soundtrack to Friends or the Wizards of Waverly Place. That's very specific. What is the Wizards of Waverly really Place? I don't. Is it like some bad kids TV show or like probably? I don't know. I don't. I don't like when bands take digs at um, like other yeah. bands for like for no reason. Like yeah, oh. pointless dig. Like what Lauren said was right. Because churches were very successful in their own right. Yeah, like we saw them support Fallout Boy, and I didn't enjoy them. But um, did we support Fallout Boy in Brussels? No, it's Paris. Oh, see, I get them all mixed up. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I same people that from my memory. But like, I wouldn't yeah, call Heim like alternative. I like a few Heim songs, but I wouldn't be like, oh, that's really heavy yeah. music. Also, I see where you're coming from because churches have a V instead of a U. Yeah, that's why I got mixed up. <gasps> hmm. <laughs> but um, I would like to say that I enjoy Mike's turn of phrase saying, I'm not hungry for that. 
Yeah. That's if someone tell, recommends me a band and I listen to them, I don't like them. I'm gonna say I'm not hungry for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the drumming on this album was apparently much more difficult than any of the previous albums, and their drummer Rob actually had to work with a personal trainer to become physically fit enough to keep up with the speed of the drums. During a marathon recording session, he actually blew his back out and had to be seen by a chiropractor, which is just dedication to the cause. Oh my god, fair play. But there's another thing, like we'd never noticed that the drums were faster on that. No. And they put so much time and effort into them. Chester actually missed out on a lot of the initial recording for this album because during this time he was the lead singer in the band Stone Temple Pilots and toured with them for most of 2013. When... I didn't know that. Yeah, I know, I didn't know that either. When he did join the recording sessions, he was surprised at the heavier rock sound the band had started to create. They released their first single from this album, Guilty All The Same, which features American rapper Rakim in March 2014, and shortly after its release, they announced their new album would be called The Hunting Party. I hate this album. Yeah, so again, I know I texted you and I was like, what the hell is this? And when I was listening to it, I was driving to Belfast and I was like, oh my God, can I keep skipping these? But again, if you go back and listen to it, Knowing what you're in for, it's not as bad. No, I hated it. Like this, the first song's really heavy, isn't it? And then I don't know, I don't know just, what was going that on. One with System of Down on it. I was like, whoa, what is this? It's just like every song was different. Like it was, there wasn't even yeah. like a vibe. Everything yeah. was different, but like I didn't like any of it. I was like, oh my god, am I still listening to this fucking album? Like I hated it. Well, I really, really had a bad time with this one. Do you have any idea why it's called the Hunting Party? No. Mm. You wouldn't. You'd never guess. <laughs> the title is apparently a contextual metaphor. Lincoln Park is the party that is hunting to bring back the energy and soul of rock. They're hungry for it. <laughs> I have no one to quote on where that came from, but that's what it said. Okay. The full album was released in June 2014 and had multiple musical collaborations, including songs with Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine and Darren Malkin from System of a Down. It debuted at number three on the US Billboard 200 behind Lana Del Rey and Sam Smith's new albums and was praised by critics for the band's return to their heavier rock sound of their older albums. However, this was their first album since Hybrid Theory to not debut at number one and was their lowest peaking album. Well, I think just because it's heavier doesn't mean it's like good. Better, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you said to me out of all their albums, one of them didn't do as well, I would say it's this one. Yeah. Just on a guess. After the release of The Hunting Party, Linkin Park performed a download festival where they played Hybrid Theory in full. And that summer they headlined multiple festivals with the likes of Metallica and Iron Maiden, which again is massive. Like they were so, I didn't realise they kept being that successful. I thought they kind of died out. I feel like I didn't hear so much about the newer albums. Linkin Park did really well in terms of awards in 2014 as well, winning Best Rock Act at the MTV Music Awards and Best Rock Band and Best Live Act at the Livewire Music Awards. In an interview with Altwire, Mike said he was really happy with the reaction from the hunting party and thinks the band were ready to move somewhere new on their next album, which he confirmed would be coming in 2016. Do you feel like they said this at every album? <laughs> yeah. I feel like every album they're like really happy with that. It's going to be something new. And it's like, it's not that new. But if you're really happy with it, I don't know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't know. Why do you keep changing it if you're always really happy with it? Work on this album began in November 2015. The band was apparently following a new process for producing this album, with Brad commenting, quote, We've made so many records and we clearly know how to make a record and we definitely didn't take the easy way out this time. And to be honest, I feel like none of their albums were the easy way out because your man literally injured himself the last time. Yeah. This album was primarily produced by Mike and Brad. I read a lot of interviews various members of the band did about this album. And again, there is so much creativity they've put into it. Talking about layering guitars and juxtaposing influences, which I find really interesting because we just listen to the album and we take it at face value. Yeah. We don't like, we're not like, wow, that was a juxtaposing influence. No, I can in that really tell the Paul McCartney influences there. <laughs> the album is called One More Light and it's their first album to have a title track. So no underlying meaning for One More Light. There are multiple collaborations on this album, including Kiara, Pusha T and Stormzy. And there is zero screaming vocals. Stormzy was a weird one. Stormzy was a very weird one. When I was one. listening to it, I was like, what is this like UK grime artist? Like, this is before I knew it was Stormzy, but when yeah. I was listening, I was like, what, what is this? And then I saw Stormzy, I was like, well, that makes sense. He must have been big at that time, wasn't he? He was probably when he was just coming out. Mm. The album cover is actually a photo of a friend of the band's children. And according to Mike, the photo represents what the band members feel when their respective families get together. It's just cute. Kind of cute. Kind of weird. Someone's like, hey, I want to put your kids on yeah. my album cover. I'd be like, mm, 
Oh, I thought I they were aliens. That. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at them. <laughs> Whatever way it is, I just thought about looks at them and it's like, it's a bunch of aliens. You know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the first single from the album was Heavy, marking the first time a Linkin Park song from a studio album has featured a female vocalist. Hmm. Which I never thought about, but yeah. it's true. The full album was released in May 2017, and the band embarked on a world tour that month to promote it. One More Light was not well received by critics. Most of them felt Linkin Park had effectively sold out, with Enemy giving it only 2 out of 10. Many of them didn't have an issue with the fact it was essentially a pop album, but the issue seemed to be more that they felt it was commercial and contrived pop music. Newsday, which is a daily newspaper in the US, did give them a review which I think very much reflects my own thoughts on the album, which was comparing it to the likes of Coldplay and emphasising how Linkin Park really absorbed the current pop scene and applied it to their own music to genuinely reflect who they were at that moment and not who some fans wanted them to be. This album was fine. Like, it's a lot better than that hunting party one. Yeah, it's very much of the time. I feel it was very 2017. Yeah, and very, still very, like, not Linkin Park. No. But, like, catchy. I was listening to it and I was like, I'm vibing with some of these yeah, songs. Yeah, it's fine. Let's sing along to some of them. It was them, on like. a, kind of in the background of my head. Yeah, like, I kept yeah. going somewhere else and thinking about something else because I was like, it wasn't holding my attention. Yeah, but, yeah. like, yeah, it was grand. Like, yeah. Chester, in particular, was not happy with the, sp- the response from fans and critics and lashed out in many interviews, suggesting that those people who think they sold out should stab themselves in the face and move the fuck on. That's intense. Yeah, that was very intense. He also said, quote, if you're going to be the person who says, like, they made a marketing decision to make this kind of record to make money, you can fucking meet me outside and I will punch you in the face. Meet me outside, how about that? (laughs) (laughs) That's literally all I think about when I hear that. Mike was less aggressive in his response and rejected the claims they had made the album for monetary reasons by simply saying, that's not how I roll. Which I like. I kind of like that, yeah. I like Mike's like, that's not how I roll, bitches. Chester explained that the accusation of selling out angered him because he took it as a personal attack. Corey Taylor, the lead singer of Slipknot and Stone Sour, offered Chester some advice, telling me he understood his frustrations, but advised him to be fortunate for what you have, be fortunate for the fact that people are still coming to see you to hear the music. Give it a little time. It's like, oh, that's, that's fair enough. Solid advice from Corey Taylor. I like Corey Taylor. Chester later responded saying he agreed with Corey's comments and he was grateful to all the fans. Too late, you just told them to stab themselves in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Not those fans. Despite all this drama and backlash, the album still debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 charts, giving the band their sixth number one album and they are one of the very few bands to achieve that. Hmm. In the UK, it debuted at number four, making it their lowest charting album in the UK since Hybrid Theory. But according to worldmusicawards.com, it was the world's best-selling album of the week, ending on June 3rd, 2017. So again, still really com- or like, yeah, commercially successful. successful, despite the fact we're like, mm, it was fine, despite the fact critics were like, not great. I just, I wonder who the fans are at this stage. Because yeah. being the like hybrid theory meteora fan, I don't think like this music is for me. Yeah. But I wonder who is out there, because I don't think like... The same fans that I'm with are the ones who would be buying mean. this. They didn't like, I don't think fans grew up with them. Yeah. I think we just took them and left them. Yeah. But I wonder who it is appealing to now that they're that still getting is. to number one. A very good point. But on 20th July 2017, tragedy struck. News broke that Chester had died as a result of suicide by hanging age 41. Mike tweeted, shocked and heartbroken, but it's true. An official statement will come out as soon as we have one. The band had just released a music video for the single Talking to Myself earlier that day. Chester had been on holidays with his family, but had come home that day alone telling his wife he needed to work. Do you remember where you were when you heard this? I think I was in work. I remember waking up. I was just like reading on my phone and being like, what? Cause like, I, I was working in the airport because I remember that day I had to drive home. I think I was on the super early shift yeah. and it was like lunchtime when I was driving home and I my car had like an old CD player so I yeah. used to listen to CDs driving yeah, to work yeah, yeah. but I dug out Hybrid Theory I had in the car Aww. and I played it dri- driving through town with the windows down. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> so a lot of his friends and family did interviews in the months following his death where they reflected on their last interactions with him and a lot of those interactions seemed very positive. He'd even emailed former Guns N' Roses drummer Matt Sorum the day before he died saying he wanted to perform with their all-star covers band again. However, it was well known Chester had battled with alcohol for years and there was some alcohol found at the scene of his death. The autopsy report revealed he did have alcohol in his system when he died. His bandmate and friend Ryan Shook, who played guitar in Chester's side project Dead by Sunrise, speculated that although they don't know how much alcohol was present, when you're an advanced alcoholic and an addict you don't need much to lose your mind for a minute. 
Tragically, Chester had been close friends with Chris Cornell and was even the godfather to his son. Chris Cornell had died by suicide just two months earlier and Chester performed at his funeral. The Jesus, day of, was it only two months? Yeah, but wait for it. The day of Chester's death would have been Chris Cornell's 53rd birthday. Yeah. Oh, so horrible. I don't think I realised how connected those two... Like, maybe it's not. Maybe it's all coincidence. I had heard but. that Chris Cornell, like, the death of him had a huge influence... Yeah. On Chester, like a huge impact on him. Yeah. But I didn't realise it was so close between the two of them. Yeah. So sad, like. Mm. The day after Chester's death, the band called the North American leg of their One More Light tour off. On July 24th, the band released an official statement, which is honestly so heartbreaking to read. They mentioned that Talinda, who is Chester's wife and his family, want him to know that he was the best husband, father and son, and the family would never be whole without him. They also stated... We're trying to remind ourselves that the demons that took you away from us were always part of the deal. After all, it was the way you sang about those demons that made everyone fall in love with you in the first place. You fearlessly put them on display and in doing so brought us together and taught us to be more human. They ended the statement by saying, we love you and miss you so much until we see you again, LP. That's so sad. I'm actually nearly crying. Like That's still so sad. sad. I think like, Obviously, you always knew Chester had serious problems or whatever, but you still just don't expect that to happen. Especially yeah. when he's like 41 years of age and has, he has six kids. Six. Yeah, so I think he was like <sighs> married crazy. to someone and adopted one of her kids. They broke up there and then had a few other kids there along the way somewhere. It's just like the fact that he was making plans the day before goes to yeah. show that this was not something that was like planned for a long yeah. time like maybe he had thought about it several times yeah but like it wasn't like a plan like i'm gonna do it tomorrow yeah and the way everyone was saying like literally we talked to him and he was absolutely fine and i think he was quite open and honest about when he was struggling so mm. people probably expected if he was he'd say it like but the fact yeah i don't know Very sad. so so sad so the next month lincoln park were due to perform on good morning america but instead chris cornell's 12 year old daughter tony performed the song hallelujah Hallelujah, did I say that right? Yes. <laughs> With One Republic as a tribute to Chester. Chester had previously performed the song at her father's funeral. Jesus Christ. I know, she's only 12. Oh my God. A tribute concert to Chester was held in October called Lincoln Park and Friends. Celebrate life in honour of Chester Bennington, where multiple guests performed Lincoln Park songs with the band. The band has remained on hiatus since Chester's death. In 2018, Mike said he had every intention of continuing on with Linkin Park, but they have a lot of rebuilding to do and questions to answer, so it would take time. A few months later, however, he said he was uncertain of their future. Actually, on that note, I saw something where somebody suggested getting a bloody hologram of Chester. You know, oh, right? stop. I know, and literally Mike Shinoda was like, what the actual fuck? Like, no, we are not doing that. I went in the Workman's, they did a like, tribute night after he died. Mm. They played Hybrid Theory from start to finish. And you just like you had to pay in, obviously, but all those proceeds went to like suicide yeah, charities. Yeah. It was so nice. Yeah. And when I tell you, I had goosebumps the entire time yeah. I was there because it was just like the room was quiet and people were just singing along to yeah. all the songs. It was devastating. Like you know, Jody does that gig every year with Phoenix Park, <clears throat> and they donate the proceeds to charities as well. But last time I was at it, it's like you forget that Lincoln Park was a part of like everyone's. Yeah. Teenagers. Remember there's a guy beside me who could only be described as someone that looks like a football hooligan. Like <laughs> with a football jersey and like the most non Lincoln Park fan you would ever see. And he was singing along to those songs like louder than anyone else. It's like oh, stop. it just brought us all together. In twenty nineteen, Mike reiterated that they were all open to continuing Lincoln Park, but it was not their goal to look for a new singer, and if it happened it would have to happen naturally because they would never want to feel like they're replacing Chester. Isn't that exactly what happened with uh we came as Romans. Yeah, I literally exactly, was just like that. nearly yeah, word for word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did release a track in 2020 that was originally recorded in 1999 and included it on the 20th anniversary edition of Hybrid Theory. But Mike again reiterated in 2022 that they were not working on new music or a new album. Mike has released a few albums since 2017, and Joe Hahn has been released in various projects, including composing scores for movies. But there hasn't really been a whole lot of updates on them since. And that is literally the end of Linkin Park. Go on, Mr. Han. I will tell a story, actually, about when I saw them. Go on. So I saw them in... What month would it have been? I think, like, June 2017. It was only a few months before he passed. Wait, you saw Linkin Park? I saw Linkin Park. I hate you. I know. 
so they were a band that I'd always wanted to see but like never had the opportunity to and like they weren't my all-time favorite band but because they were such a big impact on me when I was younger like I always wanted to see them even though I didn't listen to them anymore and they were playing at Download and I went to Download in Paris and the gig was really strange so obviously it's different because it's French fans as well oh yeah so you're like with a lot of French people which is kind of random but so I don't know if it was like specific to the French audience or something yeah but whenever they played like you know they started was probably like one step closer or like you know one of the big songs and everybody went insane yeah and then when they started playing the newer stuff people started actively booing them no like see that's just it was crazy people were standing there with like their middle fingers up at the stage when they played the new stuff and then they'd play crawling and everyone would like be singing and jumping along again and then they'd play another new song and it'd be the same thing this went on for the whole gig and it was just so bizarre because I'm like, if you're there to see the band, like just yeah, like respect them yeah. at least. Like, there's loads of songs I don't like from some of the bands we go see, but I don't stand there and boo. But that's it. It's like, there were I don't like some of the newer music and when they were playing it, I didn't know the words like I do yeah, for like the yeah. other ones. So I would just stand there quietly or maybe that's when I go to the bar and get another drink or yeah, something. You know, yeah. I'm never like actively booing at the band I'm there to see. It was really weird. And then when he killed himself a few months later, it was just like... I don't know, that really, like, stuck out to me. That people were yeah. booing them so much for, like, making new music. Reading all his reactions there to One More Light and the way people were responding to it, it in my head I was like, that must be so hard to, like, put all that time and effort and work into something and then have people be like, this is shit. Like, it's, And it's so hard, I think, when you're an established band as well because if you're a new band starting out and you make something and, like, people aren't receptive to it, you're kind of like, oh, you know, maybe... <laughs> I don't know this isn't for people like maybe I need to think about changing it up or something like that but like when you're an established band you already have those fans and then you get this feedback that's like fuck you I hate this Yeah, like that's so hard and the one thing that I got from doing this episode and like doing all the research is definitely I did not appreciate how talented they all are Mm. like not necessarily saying I understand any of it but you can tell they're all so so talented in what they do and like the way we said there about them splitting up all the songs and you can understand them wanting on every album to like push themselves and like try something new because they're obviously so creative and stuff there it must be so boring to do like the same thing so to put all the time and effort into it and then have people turn around and be like "Mm, it's shite even though we couldn't do it (laughs) that's it so all those french fans i'd like to see you make an album yeah exactly so i do i think i definitely appreciate them a lot more now and I think what you were saying that like they were always working on the next thing they were always working as well I think that they deserved all the success that they got yeah 100% because they worked for it really hard yeah and they're clearly one of you know the most iconic bands of that time period yeah absolutely so I do love them R.I.P. Chester I miss you I think it's such a sad story I'm so sad I will never get to see them mm. like so sad like I can't believe how lucky I was that I got to see them yeah. several months before yeah. it happened <sighs> So that was that. I have videos on my phone I can show you. Okay, <laughs> So I didn't even look into any controversy because I didn't want to know. Don't want to know. Yeah. None of them are perverts. It's cool. <laughs> Favourite band, Linkin Park. Woo! So do you have a song on repeat? A song on repeat? I think. I don't know. This time around, listening to it. I don't want mine. It's on Hybrid Theory. Paper cut. No. One Step Closer. No. Um, points of Authority. No. <laughs> With you. It's called... Crawling. A Place for My Head. As in a place for and my I remember head. when I got into Hybrid Theory, having that on repeat loads, and it did, it's like stood out to me again this time around listening to them. So I'm going to go with that one. But I would listen to Hybrid Theory like a million times on repeat or Meteor. Yeah. Easily. I could repeat it all. Um, My song on repeat is Bleed It Out, would you believe? Yeah. I was going to go with something more obvious. It was between that and Faint. Mm. but bleed it out any of those classics like like if you're in a bad mood anyone or you're feeling down or you're going to work being like I don't want to go to work today put on bleed it out (laughs) and you will be ready song to skip is whatever the first song is on hunting party the like really heavy one it's just weird keys to the kingdom yeah it's really heavy I kind of like that oh no I Um, don't like it at all it's not um, that I have anything against really heavy music but I just didn't like that song in particular I didn't think they did it well my song to skip was Castle of Glass. Um, oddly enough, I think it won or at least it was nominated for some award for like best <clears throat> song in a game or something. 
Yeah. Oh, I just absolutely was not feeling it. Oh, a thousand suns. It must be on that one. So now we come to the big reveal. Danny's next band. So <laughs> things are a little different this time. We're recording two um, episodes back to back because I'm swamped with college work and I'm also going to Milan next week, which is what I'm you do. Sorry, I'm just going to Milan. You know when you're like really swamped and have loads of stuff to do and you're like, I'm just going to go away for a few days. <laughs> to Milan. I'm just, you know, I'm just checking out for a little bit. Um, so just so that we weren't late on episodes, it made sense to record two back to back. And it also made sense because I started researching this band and I started writing the episode. And then when I got to the controversy section, that took over to the point that I don't want to listen to the band. So Claire doesn't know who the band is and I have not listened to them. We're not, we're not like talking about the music per se. We're boycotting them. They're like super cancelled. So we didn't want to give them the Spotify royalties. What's it like? I have been racking my brain trying to think of who this is. So we're going to do Aiden. What? Super cancelled. Are they? Super cancelled. To oh the point my... that we can't listen to them anymore. Okay. Of all the bands you could have said, I never would have envisioned you were talking about Aiden. I heard there was some controversy and I was like, oh, I never really looked into it. And it was years ago. And oh, I don't listen to them. Oh, something is coming into my head. I feel like I know this controversy. Oh, this is going to be a spicy one. So the next episode is going to be our Aiden episode. And it's, um, I'm just going to put trigger warning for literally anything in the world. So if, <laughs> like, literally, if you're triggered by anything, don't listen to it. Skip that one. But Big. thanks for listening to this one. Yes. <laughs> We've gone from sad to like spicy in a bad way. So our Aiden episode will be uh, two weeks after this one. Yeah. 28th? Uh, sure. Is that good maths on my part? Woohoo! <laughs> We're staying on schedule, so we should have that up in two weeks anyway. Thank you for listening to us. Please follow us on Instagram. We are Foundations of Emo on Instagram and TikTok. We're Foundations Emo on X. And we post fun things. We post little clips of ourselves and we post cute little Valentine's Day memes if you're stuck for something to send your loved one. <laughs> send her Valentine from us. <laughs> Also, on that note, we forgot the most exciting thing that happened. What? Um, sorry, Rory Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. We got shared by Rory Spencer from uh, Daisy. Is that his name? His name on Instagram. Okay. Is, yeah. So I saw Danny posted something and then I saw that he had responded to it. And I literally knew he died and had a heart attack. I was like ringing Danny straight away and texting her being like, Danny, pick up your phone. <laughs> and she like didn't answer. And I was like, rah! And then she came and I was, she FaceTimed me and she was like, what? I was like, did you not see who just liked our photo? So thanks so much for that. We are mates with the best of the best. <laughs> he was my hero of the year. Yeah. I was did big, you tell big him? Big win. We should tell him. We, we should message him. You are my hero of the year. <laughs> and then we'll be blocked. Anyway, go follow us on social media because you never know what's going to happen next. Okay, bye.